Okay, let me pray. Our Father, the last thing uh, that uh, we uh, want to uh, ask you uh, is uh, for uh, help in handling difficult days. And in the calm of a church service like this, a lovely uh, sunny evening, it's hard to imagine what it's like for everything to go wrong and life becoming discouraging and difficult. But equip us as we study the Bible tonight to react when those days come and to react in a way that reflects your desire to save others so our love is for them. And we pray that you help us to understand by the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds and in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read a very, very long marathon section. Acts chapter 21, verse 17 is so long that uh, people will be coming and selling ice creams and selling programs and all sorts of things. There'll be an advert break. No, there won't. We're going to start in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, and we're going to keep charging on through Acts chapter 22 as well. Sitting comfortably? Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Luke is writing, as he in uh, Acts is with Paul. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard of it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walking according to our customs. Uh, to our customs. What then is to be done? There is certainly here that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. And thus all will know that there's nothing in what they've been told about you. But that you yourself also live in observance of the law. I'm going to skip now to verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing them in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on them, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is a man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the building and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. That all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. 
And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, uh, citizens of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were also there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazareth for, of who, or whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and 
came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this point, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now I'm going to stop there, and uh, the children will go and we'll resume. Keep the Bible open page 932. Children gone, now we'll carry on and uh, here's the little picture I want to ask, show you as I ask this question. Oh my word. It is, yes, I do. I do want to put notes out. Hold on. Okay, well the picture's uh, dark and we're uh, here because in this chapter, Acts chapter 21, uh, you get the question that goes like this. How do you handle the dark days, the really bad days, when absolutely everything goes wrong? Pray, say someone. Uh, that's true. Uh, but it is just a, a, a difficult day to handle, isn't it? And it starts with uh, people misunderstanding you. You want to do something good to help, and they take it the wrong way. I remember once going up to a couple, they were having this ding-dong row in their car, and they were yelling their heads off, and I knocked on the window and I said, uh, can I help? Guess what? They both turned around and they yelled at me. Yeah, mind your own business. I bet they said mind your own business. I bet you've been the bet. That's exactly what they said. Exactly. And then later on, you start the day bad like that, you go on and... Uh, someone's getting very angry with you about a wrong thing that you just haven't done. 
wouldn't happen to the Warwick girls, I'm sure, but what happens like goes like this. Your dad sees mud on the carpet, and he goes ballistic because he only told you yesterday about wearing muddy shoes, and he assumes that it's your shoes that brought in the mud. But actually, your shoes are clean. You listen to him. And it's not your fault. But you get the blame. Now, these are little niggles that we have in life. But tonight's passage, and it's spread over two whole chapters, you would have noticed, is about how Paul is massively misunderstood and then very violently treated. But then it shows us how he went on to react. And it'll help us to learn. What uh, you might want to remember, as you see on the sheets that you've got, is it starts with a bad plan, which leads to bad people. But Paul sees it as a good opportunity to commend Jesus. And we need to understand that the purpose behind every bad experience is good opportunity to commend Jesus. Let's go through it one by one. First with the bad plan. That's in chapter 21 verses 20 to 25. And you see that Paul's with friends in verse 17. He's happy and they are happy with all that he's achieved. They're on his side, but they've heard the rumors in verse 21. And Ruth, it doesn't really matter if you get the chewing gum out. You can maybe throw it away. It'll be less of a distraction rather than go. Um, so uh, just uh, see the rumors that uh, they've been hearing about in verse 21. And Paul's telling Gentiles, we know this from previous places, that it's okay to be a Gentile and not to keep the Jewish law. Fair enough. But what the rumors are saying, that Paul's telling the Jews not to be Jewish. And so James has a good plan. Why doesn't Paul do this uh, simple idea? Why doesn't Paul take... Uh, uh, this good plan of taking four men and shaving their heads and helping them to, if you like, fulfill their Jewish promises that they've made. And that way people will see that Paul is really helping Jewish people to be more Jewish with me. So therefore their rumors will stop. It'll show that Paul is a good Jew after all. But actually, Paul's proved it already. Because he's come to Jerusalem with a whole truckload of cash from Gentile churches. Now, we don't get to see that. You see it in the notes until Acts chapter 24, verse 17, where it's spoken about. But what's happened is that he's gone to all the Gentile churches he knows and he's collected money to help the poor Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so what Paul is really doing is he's showing that Gentiles are being changed, not Jewish people. It's said in, by Paul in uh, uh, 2 Timothy that 
the love of money is the root of all evil, but in Christian hands, money isn't the root of all evil. In Christian hands, money reveals love. It's a tool to reveal love. That's why Christians have got money in their hands. They use it to show that they love people. And when that happens, that's the sign that real change has happened. So the money, the collection, is proof positive that Gentiles have been changed. But James's plan is not to say, look, you've done this, it's enough. James says, go into the temple and do this one thing that everybody will then see. And when Paul goes into the temple to do this one thing, guess what? Instead of calming things down, people just get cross, more cross. The good plan goes bad. And actually, they wouldn't have accused him the way they did if he'd stayed out of the temple, would he? So there they are, they're saying, go to the temple to help people calm down about what they've heard. And he goes to the temple and people get uh, cross instead. You know how it is, it's a bit like uh, wanting to slow things down and instead of putting the brake on, you accidentally go and step on the, the accelerator. End result, even a bigger crash than you were expecting in the first place. So let me ask you, how would you feel if you were Paul and you were taking this really good advice to go and serve other people and then you're massively misunderstood in this kind of way? What would you feel like? Where's God in all this? Yeah, you got the, the advice from the leader of the church and you've gone and done it and it's all gone wrong. Let me ask you, how would you feel if you were James or one of the elders who'd given the good advice and seen the end result of what's happened? How would you be feeling then? Where's God in this? Turns out it's a very, very bad plan. That's point one, and it leads to bad people. And they're the ones have done the right. And you can see, can't you, in verse 27, that once again, crowds create anger. See this in Acts, because you're going to be seeing it in the news every single time a crowd gathers together, uh, invariably people get angry. And people get angry because in crowds, lies can be spread. And it's certainly a lie to look at, if you look at verse 28, uh, Paul is being accused of taking Trophimus into the temple, which is something he has not done. <coughs> He's been with his mate Trophimus in the city, but he hasn't taken him into the temple. Because let me tell you, non-Jewish people are not allowed in the temple when he knew that. But what you may not know is that as you went to the temple, you saw these walls, and on the walls you saw these signs that said, trespassers would be executed. Okay? So if you've got a person going to the temple, then they're going to die. Now we know their signs exist because they've been recovered, a couple of them, and they're in museums. 
You can see them today. In fact, I texted Farmaz, who's in Italy, and I said, Farmaz, if you're in Istanbul, please, will you go into the Turkish State Museum? I want you to take a picture of a sign for me. Farmaz said he was in the wrong city, and he wasn't going to make the huge, enormous trip to get to Istanbul to take a picture for me. But next time you go on holiday, make sure you go to Istanbul and please take a picture for me when you get to the temple. Because that sign is there. It was recovered and it's there for all to see. This is history. If you went into a Jewish temple, you died. Which is why it is unlikely that Trophimus ever walked into the temple because he'd never walked out again had he done that. So to say that he entered is actually a lie, but Paul is accused of taking him in, so it's decided that he must die in verse 31, and the violence starts. Acts chapter 21 and verse 31. Uh, you see it said that um, as they were seeking to kill him, uh, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in temple. So let me tell you that when they actually shut the door, they are not now having to come and collected committee meeting on whether they should kill Paul or not. They've actually started the killing. Okay? This now has begun. And then the process of taking his life. That's when the next thing happens. Because an angry crowd is never quiet. They make enough noise to wake up the, well, certainly in this case, the Romans. And the Romans are uh, in their barracks, uh, which are right next to the court uh, of uh, the temple, because they know that's where they're likely to be needed if there's any trouble in the city. And so they come rushing down two lots of stairs, and there's lots of them, I, people say about 200, takes that many. And when they see this high commanding officer, a Roman tribune, the rank of the person leading the Roman soldiers, was the equivalent of a very senior colonel in the British army. Okay, here's a man of great military authority coming down, and so this much they'll do, they'll stop killing Paul at that point. But it's not enough to quieten the crowd. The uproar is still there. And so he can't hear what people are saying. And the violent feelings are still strong in verse 35. So when Paul is rescued from them, he's actually got to be raised up out of their reach because they want to get him and get rid of him. So when you read in verse 36, away with him, they're not just saying, please take him away. What they're saying is, you kill him. Because he deserves to die. So now what is the problem? Take a, uh, a quick uh, rain check of what's happened so far. Your friends have made a bad plan. And now you're surrounded by violent, bad people. Now, what are you going to be feeling? More to the point, what are you going to be hoping for? My guess is deliverance. Okay? You want to write the next episode of, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. 
and uh, you want to, 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 to leave. But Paul doesn't do that. He sees instead a gospel opportunity. And verse 37 is almost comic, isn't it? Verse that in, in chapter 21. Uh, can I say something to you? All this hullabaloo going on and they've just about rescued him. They've got him on their shoulders and trying to get him out into safety. And he says, look, uh, could I have a word with you? I'd like a word with these people if you don't mind. Paul doesn't say, quick, you're not moving fast enough. Lift me higher. He says, look, all these bad things that are coming together to make this a really horrible day for me, well, it's just the perfect opportunity to speak to a whole group of people so big that it seems like the whole city is in confusion. So nearly everybody is there. Paul says, this is a golden opportunity for me to say something, isn't it? Do you mind if I do? Well, he's a very impressive guy, Paul, because we saw last week that the strength of his love is that people just loved him to bits. We saw that last week, didn't we? But now, this week we see the strength of his character is enough to cause a senior Roman army officer to allow him to speak. He speaks the army officer in Greek, so he can't be that uneducated uh, Egyptian troublemaker that they had on their wanted list. That's the first thing the Tribune says. So you're not this guy, are you, in which case? And the Tribune is impressed enough to let Paul speak. And having stamped his commanding personality onto this senior commanding officer, he now stamps this commanding personality onto the crowd and in verse 40 they quieten just with a move of his hand Paul standing on the steps motioned with his hand to people and there was great hush a bit like Jesus calming the storm and then what does he do he switches language he's now they're not talking Greek to the commanding officer he's now talking Hebrew to the people in front of him. And he addresses them with great respect. He calls them brothers and fathers. Now he's got them listening. If you look at chapter 22, verse, 20, uh, verse 2, they're now even more quiet. Now, once you've really got them to the point where you can hear a pin drop, what would you want to say? Wouldn't this be a good time to really come out with a simple denial of all the charges? Friends, let me tell you, I have not brought anybody into this temple. That would have changed the mood of the crowd and they would have all gone home. But Paul doesn't want the crowd to go home he wants the crowd to become Christians. And so he tells them that he was like them and he is absolutely, fully Jewish. 
He says, I'm just like you. In a place where pedigree is all about where you were born and where you were educated, a bit like in England today, well, he wants to tell them that he comes from uh, Tarsus. As it says at the top of page 931 of chapter 21, verse 39, Tarsus in Cilicia is a citizen of no obscure city. He comes from one of these places where only the very best of people live. But he grew up in Jerusalem. And you can't get more Jewish than that. And he had as his teacher the great Jewish scholar Gamaliel. He's the best teacher who therefore could choose the best students. And Paul was one of them. And he also says, I can trump you on zeal. You're zealous today? Let me tell you, I once hated Christians enough to kill them in verse 4. I persecuted this way to death. And then Jesus met with him. And Paul describes how Jesus is alive. And let me tell you something about this Jesus. He makes himself known to his enemies. Because Paul says, I was someone who persecuted this way. And when Jesus spoke to me, he asked in verse 7, Why are you persecuting me? And again it's stressed in verse 8. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And yet this Jesus is the one who wants to meet people like that. And so what Paul did was he changed sides from being anti-Jesus to now living for Jesus. But he didn't stop being Jewish. He didn't change sides on that. Because what happens is he goes into Damascus and he meets this entirely Jewish bloke called Ananias in verse 12. He's a devout man according to the law, words spoken of by all the Jews who live there. And when he came and he started speaking to Paul, he didn't say, well, now you can stop being Jewish. He says, actually, in verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to do his will. So he's still doing the will of the God of his fathers. He hasn't stopped being Jewish for a second. But this God the fathers had appointed him to know his will and to see and hear the righteous one. And so Paul was baptized a Christian and they're still listening therefore because they still accept that he is fully Jewish. Good so far? Ah, it's the next bit that goes wrong because it's when he tells these Jewish people that he as a Jew was told by the Jewish God that this Jewish God wants to send him out to the Gentiles in verse 21 of chapter 22 and God said to him go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles that's when they begin to remember why they hated him at the start you see they'll accept Paul's conversion they'll accept that he's got Jewish credentials 
they'll accept that uh, Gentiles becoming Christians is okay as long as they first become Jewish, like them. But they simply will not accept that Gentiles become Christians as Gentiles. Because what that means is that Jews and Gentiles can both come to Jesus on identical terms. Which implies, ultimately, that being Jewish isn't essential anymore. But it does answer their question, doesn't it? The fuss was all about taking Trophimus into the temple. This answers that particular problem because what Paul is really saying is, look, I don't need to take Trophimus into the temple. He's fine being a Gentile, becoming a Christian as a Gentile. The temple isn't necessary for Trophimus. That's why I didn't need to take him in. And so, the point that they're objecting to is that Jesus can save anyone, verse 21, sending him far away to the Gentiles. And whereas they were once God's special people, now other people don't have to become like them first. I'm afraid it doesn't calm their anger, it just changes their anger and revs it up even more because for years and years they've thought to themselves that they are the only ones who are God's special people. Anyone who wants to become one of God's special people had to become one of them first, but now Paul wants to say that those centuries of thinking no longer apply to Gentiles. They can become God's special people in full without becoming Jewish. And that's why in verse 23, Paul is back in trouble again. And they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. And the tribune has to take Paul away. And we'll come back to that tribune next week. Let's just finish tonight asking what this might mean for us. Let me tell you, if you're not yet a Christian and you're wondering what God would say to you just at this moment in time in your life. Let me tell you, from this part of the Bible, God's word for you is change sides. It's not to say that your life is a bad life, that it's in the gutter, that you're an addict or anything like that. You might have lots and lots of privileges. A favoured upbringing, a favoured place and everything going smoothly. That's what it was like for Paul. But he had to admit that he was living on the wrong side of Jesus because he wasn't living for Jesus, in which case you're living on the wrong side of him. And he had to admit that and change sides and be baptized and wash away the life that he'd lived against Jesus before. Now, my friends, if you're someone who's new, it may be that you've had zero religious experience. It may be you've had lots. But the big deal is this. Change sides. Whatever the kind of life you've had before. And start living for Jesus. Which means living to commend him to other people. Which means that there will be people getting angry with you as well.
in your turn. If you are not yet a Christian, change size. That's the big lesson. And there's a picture there to show you that's what's happening. And you can see it. What happens if you've been to church lots? Can I suggest from this passage a simple thing to notice? And that is you can take on a Jewish view of religion, of conversion, of, of evangelism. What does a Jewish view of evangelism look like? It looks like this. People know where to find us. And if they want to become Christians, let them come here and join us. And we'll tell them. What's objected to is the idea that people can come to God without coming into our particular team. But that Christians should go out and bring in people who aren't like us at all. Because ultimately, the Jewish way of thinking about evangelism is not actually evangelism. It is to think, this church is for me. I'm not so much bothered for the other people on our estate. That's a Jewish form of evangelism. If people want on our estate to find out, let them come here. But you see, that shows that we might be in church, but we haven't understood anything about God. We certainly haven't understood his passion, which is for everyone in our estate to have access to him. And therefore, we've got to go out to them. So my friends, can you see how it's easy to be a temple person, to believe the right things about God, but actually to show that you don't be belong to him? even though you be believe in him. And that's certainly true if you don't have his heart for the lost. And you have a Jewish view of evangelism instead. We're here. Come. But it may be that you are a real Christian, in which case expect the bad days and the bad picture that you can't see on the screen, but you know what it's like. And the bad days, well, you know what they are, don't you? The, the, bad, the good plans go bad, and bad people get angry. And let me tell you, the bad people that get angry are not always Jewish. I think we've got to say that, otherwise we end up thinking that we've mentioned Jewish bad people so many times, we'll be accused of being anti-Semitic next. So I'm not talking about only Jewish people. In this case, yes. But right across the world today, largely they're not Jewish. And there's anger against Christians from crowds of Buddhists in Sri Lanka, from crowds of Hindus in India, from crowds of Muslims in Muslim countries, and from crowds of secular atheists in our context, who hate Christians too. Expect the bad days, where you try to help, 
and people misunderstand. Where the nurse or the GP offers to pray with their patients and finds themselves struck off, wanting to help, but with a misunderstanding and a backlash. Expect the bad days. But when the bad days come, aim your desire in the right direction. Because it's easy when the bad days come just to want to opt out, to step off the pressure train, to simply want deliverance and for life to be easy. But aim your desire in the right direction is to say, on this bad day, my big desire is that people become Christians. I'm going to say something that might show I'm responding to this in a way that wants them to see how Jesus saves all. And I want them to see that salvation. My friends, we might feel discouraged when our good plans go bad. We might feel discouraged when everyone turns against us. But please, do not let your feelings rule. Let them lead to a desire to commend Jesus and to commend his passion for a lost world to find him. In other words, let the bad days lead to good opportunities, to gospel opportunities to bring people to Christ. Even if at the end of the day all they do is shout even louder and throw their cloaks in the air and dust in your face and make it even worse. Stay with the new desire. Point it the right way. Want people to find Christ. Well, let's pray that God will help us to do that. Let me give you one minute to pray. I'll stop the tape. And in a minute, I'll lead us in prayer. And then you might have questions. And who knows, I might even have some answers. One minute to pray. Well, I'm in it uh, up, so let me finish in prayer. Our Father, the last thing, the very last thing we would ask you for are bad days. And we must confess to you as well that we don't have your passion for unbelievers to become believers. But by your Spirit, please, would you help us to see your passion that they should trust and follow the Lord Jesus and help us to become passionate for that as a result to be like you. And help us in our difficult, discouraging days to react in ways that show our desire that we want everyone to see your passion to save others.
Please help us, Father, to bear these in mind. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.